All right. Okay, I am loading this up. Yeah, I just changed my musical uh, uh, song that I wanted to play on the fly, so hopefully this cue's in a uh, good place. Well, let's do that. Yeah! <laughs> it seemed uh, appropriate. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Hey everybody, welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. My name is Mark and I'm coming to you from underground in the Comic Book Dungeon. And my name is Cruz. Hang on while I adjust my garter belts and thigh-high stockings because we're doing the time warp again from the Wolf Spider Arena. I'm throwing some toast at you. All right. <laughs> Get the newspapers out because it's going to be raining out here. So we're coming to you guys slightly late this episode, unless you're uh, listening in our backlog when this episode totally came out on time and you don't know any better. Oh, I don't know how this would transition to the blank, black, uh, backlog, because uh, as much as is the theme of uh, our current issue, uh, we are uh, temporally transcendental, because you are on a day that will not exist next year. Well, I'm stuck in the past. <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. That's quite <laughs> awesome, actually. Well done. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, man. This is, uh, this is a, an interesting uh, time to record. This is probably a, a week or two before we uh, all hit the, or get the coronavirus. So it's uh, good that we're getting the recording done now. Oh, yeah, don't worry. The Veep has got it all under control. Hold on, hold on. Uh, I'm just going to drink to that. You mean the guy who said that uh, condoms were not effective at treating STDs? Yeah, that, that guy. That VP? Yeah, yeah that, the same guy who, uh, while uh, freaking just wrecking free healthcare in his home state, decided that clean syringes weren't necessary <laughs> until a freaking rampant HIV virus, uh, outbreak just just went crazy and then he was like let me pray on it for a second and then changed his mind i uh if we're talking politics i'm gonna put you on the spot right now okay it, it my opinion on this shifts almost daily but at this point in time on february 8th 28th february 29th who do you think is going to get the uh the nomination from the uh, democratic party fuck <clears throat> If it's okay, who do I think and who do I want? And, and I, I, I um, oddly feel like it might just line up, um, but I'm, you know, I, I'm not too sure because when does when does South Carolina freaking do their primary? Isn't that this week? This coming week? I might be wrong. I, I thought it was this week, or yeah, I thought it was this week, or is it Monday? I think it might be Monday. Because when I when I was listening to um, up first, I think they were like it's the eve of the Democratic primary, so that was fr- this morning, Friday. So um, I don't know if they do it on Saturday or not. <laughs> but uh, I I don't I don't see Biden getting it. Really, uh, I'm hoping not. I, I'm honestly hoping not. I I really think. And my every freaking thing I can cross is crossed for it. 
I I would love to see a Sanders Warren ticket. I I would love to see a Sanders Warren ticket, or specifically, I'd love to see a Warren Sanders ticket. But that's not. I, I don't think either one is going to happen. Um, fingers are crossed over here. I'm I'm hoping that it gets to a point where you, you know Sanders is hopefully. I'm hoping that the, that the pushback against everybody that's you know from everybody that's tired of hearing libtard or tired of hearing well that's socialist and when you know they they get these real world examples of you know like when your house is on fire and the fire department comes to put it out that's socialism when you try to make an insurance claim and they deny it that's capitalism starts sticking in people's heads more i uh if i were to put a prediction down now I think that he's barely going to scrape in, 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 in uh, into the nomination. I still think Biden is going to get it. If Bernie got, it's not like I would put money on Biden over Bernie. I I think they're very close. It's just I I see Southern states embracing Biden over Bernie. I don't necessarily, or I don't. It's not that I want Bernie, or or I mean Biden over Bernie. It's. I just think that you you have a lot of establishment Democrats in those southern states who are not going to vote Bernie. Um, but the, everything in the, since 2016 has been impossible to predict. So I'm definitely yeah. not saying that with, you know, I would not be surprised if, if Sanders got it. I mean, they're both the safe choices to get at this point. I would be a little surprised if Buttigieg, uh, Buttigieg, Buttigieg, got, ugh, Buttigieg got it. But I... yeah. If anybody else got it, I would be quite surprised, which sucks, because Warren, I, I'm a big Warren fan, and I was hoping she was going to pull this out. Well, she's pulling back pretty hard. I mean, she definitely uh, has came out guns blazing since uh, she had that opportunity to take pot shots at Bluebird. Oh, man, that was so fun to watch. <laughs> that was so... I, I've watched that clip a few times, just the... I have women who are, you know, my organizations are 70% women. One of them has a woman CEO. Do you hear what he said? He said he likes some women. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, I, God, man, that was wonderful to watch and, and see how on fire she was. I, uh, my question for you is that uh-huh. if we get a President Bernie Sanders... Do you think there will be someone in charge at, like, the White House of making sure that his hair is combed and that his suit isn't wrinkly before he addresses the nation? No. There will be somebody who will be in charge of uh, uh, just uh, Bernie Sanders' comb? No, there is somebody that's going to be specifically in charge with freaking crumpling up his suit (laughs) as much as they can, making it wrinkled and making him come out and appear as disheveled as possible so that he, he, he just... I, I I really like the idea of 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 having this curmudgeonly freaking like old guy with this deep fucking voice just coming out and, and, and doing the State of the Union and and I especially want him to come out in like some shitty like fucking Burlington coat factory yes. fucking suit okay with with like 
I, you know, specifically with, with someone like one Secret Service agent is specifically charged with rubbing a fucking balloon <laughs> over his fucking jacket and applying it to Bernie's head to get some shit to be sticking straight up. I don't own a comb. Combs are for the 1%. <laughs> Spot on. I love it. <laughs> My father was buried in the suit. If it was good enough for his corpse, it's good enough for me. But yeah, oh, I, I like I like Bernie a lot. There's, yeah, I, I am liking him a lot more. He's got a little bit more baggage in my mind than Warren, but I I I like Bernie. I'm not I'm not sure if he's as palatable as Biden on a national scale. I don't think he's as safe of a choice to beat uh, Trump as say Biden. But I mean, I I would like him hands down a hundred percent more than I would want Biden. Absolutely, absolutely. I really feel though the only, the only person that I would fucking hate to vote for that I would feel dirty afterward if I had to if it was a Bloomberg Trump matchup because Bloomberg is just a Democratic Trump. Yeah, basically. I mean, I would do it. He is exactly that. He's he's better than the alternative, but man, especially it's are there really a lot of people out there clamoring for Bloomberg? I don't think so. Because if you're an establishment or a Democrat, Biden's a much better choice than that. Or if you want somebody who has money who you think is going to be better on the economy, man, Tom Sayers is way better uh, or more palatable in that regard than fucking Bloomberg and doesn't have any of the uh, the baggage. I mean, that is a he's a fucking straight up Republican voting as a Democrat or running as a Democrat. I mean, he sucks. Yeah. Who yeah. is who is supporting that dude? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I. I mean, if you're at the point where you're that de- you've got that much money, are you really into anything except benefiting yourself? I, I mean that, and that like that audio that came out this week that he talked about. He would use drone strikes to protect the banks. The amount of fucking sexual harassment shit this dude has uh, uh, made, like uh, like the non disclosure agreements to cover up, and just I mean, the dude he ran his, he was a mayor, he was a Republican mayor. I mean, th- this dude is not. Anything that any Democrat should want. If you're a Bloomberg fan, just just turn off this fucking podcast. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> but give us five stars. <laughs> no, I mean, comic book dungeon. Yeah. Write a glowing review. Write into us and uh, explain to us as a Democrat why you would want Bloomberg over any uh, 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 a Biden, a uh, Klobuchar, a Warren, any of the others, a Buttigieg, Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Yeah, is it Buttigieg, Buttigieg? I don't know. I, I think it's. I, I, I've been saying Buttigieg, but I have not been emotionally invested in making sure that's 100% accurate. Uh, neither have I. Uh, Buttigieg, his, uh, a lot of things about him come under, uh, into question. I mean, and, I, uh, if he got the nomination, I would vote for him. And, I mean, he might have the potential there to be a great president. But, yeah, there's stuff about him that I just don't like over some of the other candidates. And I'm wondering if some of that baggage is, if we have, or is the same for both of us. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I, I'm, I'm going more towards the line of the uh, fuck going anywhere near the establishment because that is – it, it it just doesn't help. It really doesn't help. It, uh, I, I find myself, the more I learn about it, the more I'm leaning more towards democratic socialism because 
frankly, we are just getting to a point where uh, we're, we're going to end up killing ourselves as a nation. We've already pretty much fucking just taken apple core to our own asshole in terms of manufacturing power. Um, and and it, it's just, just the way um, – just, just the way how, how I feel like the average, which should be a decent middle class uh, family unit slash lifestyle slash income or whatever – is something that is, you know, one paycheck away from disaster or one bad healthcare diagnosis away from financial ruin or, you know, one fucking, I had to take, you know, way too many days off to freaking ensure my kids got to their appointments to freaking handle something. It, it's, we're at the point where that is, that's now normal. And it's disheartening and, frankly, a little terrifying for me to, to realize that that's the new normal. That 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 it that 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 living on a fucking razor blade of existence for having the the having the lifestyle that the, having the dream that we were all promised as America uh, being taken away and foreclosed on. I don't think most people realize how fucking close to disaster at any given time they are. If, they don't. If you have kids, even if it's just you, like whatever, you can have a great job and insurance, like great insurance. If you have an, aggre- an aggressive cancer, if you ha- find out one day you go to the doctor, you have a rare disease, that is enough in this country to fucking destroy you. Even though you have fucking great insurance, I mean, cancer treatments are expensive. A lot mm. of aggressive diseases that require a lot of uh, treatment. These, tr- uh, like the drug regimen, might end up costing, you know, after insurance, twelve or twenty thousand dollars a year. So hey, hell, we're, we're, you, hey, everybody is basically one fucking coronavirus vaccination away from fucking financial ruin. Did you see that one guy? He thought he had the coronavirus, so he went to the hospital trying to be responsible so he wouldn't, like, spread it to other people. And it cost him, like, $3,800 or something just to find out he didn't have it. And that was all out of pocket. Right. Yeah. Oh, did you? And, and then, yeah, Exactly. It's it's fucking redonkulous. It's, um, it's crazy. If you are a single parent in this country and say your kid gets cancer, so not only are you going to have to like most likely go into bankruptcy to pay for that, even if you have really great insurance, but the fact that if you're, uh, say, a single fa- uh, a parent who has to work multiple jobs to be able to sustain your family, you might end up having to to, to lose one of those jobs just because who's going to be taking time off to make sure that kid gets to their appointments like you were just talking about. I mean, you were just, you can do everything right in this country. And because uh, you, you were unlucky to you or your family member have a disease that you can't control. You're bam, you're fucked. You are now medically. Yeah. You have to uh, medically uh, declare bankruptcy because of medical bills. And so when people are denouncing socialism, I mean, that's basically insurance is socialism. We all pay into a system to to share risk. And uh, I mean, it's instead instead of just having to pay these ridiculous premiums and have all this shit uh, 
or pay uh, your uh, deductibles and whatnot. Having a social or having it uh, a, a universal system means we instead of having all this redundancy, we're all paying into one system. Everybody who works is paid into it, so we're just we're sharing it on a bigger scale, and it just means less uh, expense for everybody. But yeah, yeah, and <clears throat> Budigig and Klobuchar and Biden, they're not going to push the boundaries of that like War, uh, Bernie or Warren are. Exactly. But, like, fucking Klobuchar, people like their insurance company. You're a fucking out-of-touch idiot if you think that. Well, yeah, yeah. Fucking name someone that does. I mean, I that's that's my job where uh, my day job when I'm not seeing clients is I deal a lot with the insurance companies and have to navigate the bureaucracy of that. Nobody likes that. People like get what the insurance company can offer them. The treatment, but I mean, if you, especially, I, I deal with Medicaid and I deal with the insurance company, and you'd be surprised how much, uh, how at times, how much better Medicaid is than most private insurance. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I, uh, gosh, so like uh, a couple weeks ago, I got my approval for uh, comprehensive health care through VA, and I went in there, and because of my income, I don't qualify for like the free ticket. But even with my income, like the the copays and, and all that shit, the drug prices and everything are hands down way better than what I will be getting through my corporate sponsored health insurance come May. Um, in Michigan, where I, I live and work, southeast Michigan, like say if I had a child who had a severe mental health uh, episode that needed – uh, partial hospitalization or uh, long-term um, residential hospitalization or even like a temporary inpatient, I am more likely, if I had Medicaid, my kid would most more likely have more covered days than um, yeah. most private insurances. And it's not like they give it away because they don't care. They're not managing it. They are. It's just that... Do you remember in the <clears throat> Army how every supply sergeant was an asshole who acted like that shit came out of their own pocket? Yep. That is how so many insurance companies are. Well, yeah, because ultimately that cuts into their bottom line. It, they actually have to follow through on the services that they say they're going to provide. That takes away from their profit margin because everyone paying into it and nobody getting anything means more money for the shareholders. The fight to get uh, ABA, Applied Behavioral Analysis, uh, which is like the leading treatment for autism – the fight to get that a covered ser- service for the insurance company, it was been a multiple year fight. I mean, we're finally where it's like every state has some form of it covered. But I mean, that was a huge fucking thing for years. And it's just like, it, like you said, I mean, it's just it's we're paying for that. That's less money for the shareholders. And yet Budigig yeah. is not going to change that. And Budigig, when asked about the fucking... Uh, it, uh, the tax-exempt status of the church. And I, I know he's a politician, and he's got to uh, try to have mass appeal. But the fact that he was in favor of like the Catholic Church continuing to have zero oversight over their finances, I thought was a re- that, that really turned me off. Oh, yeah. Between them and the fucking Mormons, there's got to be like at least 200 fucking billion dollars stashed away there. Yeah. I mean, they, they, we found out about the, you mentioned the Mormons, that their estimated worth is like $6 billion. More. Yeah, more. More. Yeah, I mean, Way more. It is. 
if you're a religious organization, you should have the same oversight as any other nonprofit. I don't understand because it's the same thing yeah, where or, um, what, what's what's that fucking uh, thing that Trump said he was going to do away with? Oh, the uh, uh, the Johnson Amendment. The Johnson, yeah, the, the Johnson Amendment. You know, I mean, at least fucking like back up some of that shit because I can guarantee you. Damn near anybody that's going going into church is getting some sort of freaking, you know, endorse this guy from the pulpit. Oh, just most. This isn't true of all states, but there's many southern states that if we have southern listeners with kids, I mean, this is of interest to you. Did you know that uh, you know if you take your kid to like a preschool or a daycare, the state has to license that in every state. There's an oversight process, but in um, or several of the southern states, if it is a religiously based like daycare, they don't have to have the same licensing or screening process. In a couple of the states, there's like zero if it's like a uh, oversight, basically if it's a religious organization's daycare. So I mean, yep. they can literally hire like felons to work there with zero, like almost zero training. They, the state doesn't come in and do inspections. The state isn't doing ID checks on those employees. Just because these people are like a Christian-based organization, there's zero, almost zero government oversight of that. Yeah, I mean, don't don't worry about freaking Father O'Hallahan over here who just got transferred from a diocese that's had a fucking rampant freaking rise in sexual freaking hurt. uh, sexual assault charges from the altar boys, okay? He's good. Trust me. I mean, there's been over the last 10 years multiple stories of uh, religiously based daycares where just horrific abuse was going on for years. And what would happen is it was a, a similar shit with like the, the Catholic priest. You'd have a uh, religiously based daycare get in trouble for abuse. They would just fire all the staff change their name but keep the same practices and then keep going so you'd have the same like management team and owner just keep going and going and going but as soon as like uh shit was uh kind of discovered just rebrand and keep going until like they were like the owners themselves were like indicted yeah oh man uh talk about a bunch of freaking hucksters and shysters but uh, and I mean, we talked about this a lot, I think a couple episodes ago, where I mean this what we call socialism in America, which is like the far right or I mean the far left, that's like in fucking like France, that would be considered or like Belgium a real centrist point of view. I mean, our far left is barely left in most European countries. What the far left in the United States wants is shit that, like, basically the social programs that every other first world country has. Right. That right. the the <clears throat> Republicans, the 1%, the rich, don't want you to have this shit here because of, uh, like we said, like the profit margin. But we want the same basic shit that every other first world country has. The United... I mean, that the, 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 this... Making America Great Again promise that the the right is and, and Trump is fucking campaigning on. It's not I mean, this idea of this America American exceptionalism has died. I mean, we are every year we fall further behind in terms of just, just this country, like you said, production, our happiness index, uh stress levels. I mean our infant mortality rates are that of a third world country. Yeah, so, yeah, like yeah. 
Yeah, where was it? I saw it, like, uh, there's that, um, oh, God, it was a show, and there's this freaking quote, uh, there's this video clip that's always aired everybody, where it's like, they're doing this panel in front of a college audience in there, and the host is like, well, what makes you think America is the greatest country on earth? And two of the freaking panelists answer, you know, fucking just typical banal fucking, like, propagandist nationalist answers one of them which is like well we have freedom and the last guy comes up and he's like nothing does the only thing we do lead the world in is fucking uh people incarcerated per capita infant mortality and, and there was another fucking statistic well, military I, like, I, spending yeah military spending and like if you actually fucking fact check that shit it's accurate i mean if that's what you're fucking proud of as an american go fuck yourself yeah, I mean, we are every year we're falling further behind the rest of the first world. But yeah, we just have this idea of just just innate exceptionalism, and it's well, yeah, that's because we're taught to be proud of our own fucking ignorance. It's I mean, if if we want to have this idea of exceptionalism, I mean, we need to we need to do this about face. We need to well, yeah. We 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 shouldn't just even be modeling what other countries have. We should be trying to exceed that in terms of those social programs. Well, yeah. If we if we want to talk about American exceptional exceptionalism, well, fuck. We need to fucking be exceptional. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's uh, and it, it gets me so fucking so fucking fired up and pissed off when I hear this shit. And I'm just like, no, you just got you your fucking ignorance. Makes me want to fucking reach across the table and stab your fucking eyeballs out with a fucking rusty fucking spork. <laughs> I don't understand Republicans who are, I guess, turning tying this back in. If you're a Republican who's a Star Trek fan, how do you fucking like balance that in your head? How do you reconcile that Star Trek is a socialist utopia? Green boobies. If you don't want to work, if you're in the Federation, you don't fucking have to, but your needs are still provided for. I mean, it is the ultimate, you know, you you are working for the benefit of yourself and for everyone around you. There's no money, in, except for if the plot calls for there to be. Uh, I mean, there's it's free food, free energy. You Again, you work to better yourself and those around you. There's no, I mean, it's... It is free health care. How do you reconcile that it is a, I mean, it is a socialist utopia and you're a Republican? <laughs> it's like, a, I, I don't know if we talked about this on the air before, but like the Deep Space Nine documentary that came out last year. It had a bunch of like one star reviews on Amazon because they like, well, I didn't appreciate the uh, production team. Um pushing their uh, political agenda on me. That's all Star Trek is. It was yeah. a political agenda dressed up in a science fiction dressing. But every show was to make you think about these social issues. Even right. going back to the original series, which didn't have a lot of depth compared to the rest of them, it was all to make you think. It was all of social commentary on today's issues. So, it was. So... Don't don't put your political agenda on my show that is riddled with a political uh, left wing political agenda. I mean, yeah, you're an idiot. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was the original series that had the first interracial kiss on the fucking small screen. Yes, you know, I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> it, that's what it is. 
I mean, if you want, like, if you want a more right wing freaking sci fi fantasy, go watch some fucking Star Wars. Okay, look at the fucking <laughs> look at the Empire. <laughs> Oh fuck! I mean, that's what—that's what the empire's all about. Look at them—they're fucking mining whole planets, building giant. I mean, look at their military spending. Fuck! And do you think any of the independent contractors' families on the Death Star got a payout when that fucker blew up? <laughs> no, you know their insurance companies were like, "Nah, claim denied, fucker." Yeah, I, mean, I know. I, I think that's a good point. The the empire <laughs> is an absolute right wing organization. It, it absolutely is, man. We're making like, humans great again, and we're keeping all these <laughs> undesirable uh, gungans yes. and shit out of here because they, they yes. need to know their place. Yes, even with even with the casual like freaking light like semi hidden racism involved with the empire, which eventually became fuck overt as they had a fucking Trump like figure put in place. Um, Yes, exactly. It, it is so much a fucking right. Well, probably because the Empire was modeled after fucking, you know, fucking, uh, uh, fucking Nazism or whatever. Yeah, fascism. Fascism. Sorry, I am. I am indulging uh, tonight. So yes, I am already one fucking uh, a Belgian fucking white fucking ale into this, and I am a lightweight, so it's already kicking in. Yes, I mean, it's going to be Marvel Ultimate Alliance two all over again. <laughs> <laughs> no, because every sip I take of my beer, I'm chasing it with some fucking double strength caffeine, fucking coffee. We uh, when Marvel Ultimate Lines two came out, we would play online, uh, and there were several nights where Cruz would get drunk and then just like fall asleep, and his character would be just like running in the corner. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, it it. it, it I mean, I guess that, I mean, that is the, where people throw around, like, the term, like, you know, like, the far left as it's disparaging, or, so, like, socialist as it, like, it's disparaging term. I would much rather be the radical left in our country than the radical right. The radical left wants, and I've said this probably ten times on the show, the radical left in America wants what every other first world country has. The radical far right in our country wants to throw all the minorities out and blame everything on the Jews. I mean, you're basically a Nazi. So, I mean, if I had to, ch- if I had to choose between being an actual Nazi or wanting free health care, I would see that as much le- like the, the lesser of two evils. Oh, you want to be the Empire or you want to be the Federation? That is, those are, like, those are the uh, ideological differences. And I would choose start, you know, the Federation hands down. Well, I mean, you know, the Empire made some fantastic freaking advances in technology. Uh, you know, they had the Death Star. They had the Star Killer. Uh, you know, they had all their devices. They had some form of, you know, maiming and dismemberment in their freaking title. So, I mean, they were they were, they were ahead of their time. They also didn't, uh, didn't uh, cover pre-con- or pre-existing conditions. Fuck no. Why would they do that? I have a feeling uh, they made all those uh, stormtroopers pay for their own gear, too. No, you just you just took whatever parts were undamaged off the corpse and from the trooper in front of you. Oh, I guarantee you, those were the scenes we didn't see. Oh, fucking Steve doesn't need any more. Grab his helmet. I got I got dips on his freaking yeah. blaster. Okay. Oh man, man. When I was in Iraq in two thousand seven, if you left like your Kevlar shit sitting around, like 
people would uh, might steal it because there was like a shortage of like uh, body armor and Kevlar. You remember, like Cher donated a bunch of money to the military to just to go towards buying Kevlars. Like I remember when I flew uh, flew to Kuwait for leave, I took all the actual armor out of my uh, interceptor vest because people would go in the storage lockers and steal it and sell it because there was not a, there was a body armor shortage. Fuck. We have more spending than like every military spending than like every other country combined, and still at wartime we didn't have the budget to give everybody like the equipment they need. I mean that is that is American exceptionalism right there. Fuck. Uh, I'm gonna cry. We should just probably we, jump uh, in this as, issue. Uh, as they they like to say in uh, one of my favorite fucking podcasts. Uh, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um. We are covering Star Trek issue seven, and this is from uh, October of 1980. Um, this cover I'm still holding out for the fucking Toys R Us shopping spree, man. <laughs> this uh, this cover tells a story that I it, 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 it a bit misleading than because uh, if I were just to look at this cover, I assume that this issue are uh, trio Kirk, Spock, and McCoy transport down onto a weird stone transporter pad as uh scotty spontaneously combusts while an alien menacing (laughs) alien looks on no 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 i i took scotty as freaking finally discovering the joys of masturbation (laughs) vigorously (laughs) <laughs> quite vigorously i mean there was a, he, he forgot to factor in the friction coefficient over there <laughs> so we got a crazy looking alien on this cover which i like because he has very inhuman uh proportions we and, s- and and if i may interject real quick uh in keeping uh in, in keeping uh with uh, a previous episode he's only got four digits correct we uh we see our trio in the far left even though we see them in the far left, we see a close-up of Kirk and Spock on the in the front there, in the foreground, with the Enterprise beneath them. And then we have uh, Scotty with his hands in, uh, on fire in front of a piece of, uh, of Enterprise machinery. Yep. Interesting. Great Scott, man. Yeah, how does this all fit together? Uh, let's see as we get into this ep- uh, issue, which is uh, named Tomorrow or Yesterday. Which I believe is a reference to the first season, episode 19, titled uh, Tomorrow is Yesterday. And that's the episode where they go back to the 20th century and make a bunch of stupid decisions that just compound uh, and just get worse and worse. And in this one, they make absolutely no decisions. And uh, somehow it works out in the end. <laughs> that, that is 100% accurate. <laughs> so, uh, yeah... Um, you want to go over the credits? This uh, this is not the uh, adventure that I would use as a recruiting tool for Starfleet. No. So we have Tom DeFalco script, Mike Nasser pencils, Klaus Jansen inks, Ray Burzon letterer, Luis Jones captain, so editor, and then Jim Shooter is our fleet admiral, our editor-in-chief. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a Shooter McGavin flashback. Um but yeah, so we start off with a wonderful splash page with a fantastic Enterprise fucking not drawn on it. I gotta say, I, I do, I do like the Enterprise shot. You know, it's 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 from the rear. You know, sometimes people like from the rear. Uh, is this a good rendering of the Enterprise? 
Okay, not really, but it looks dramatic, okay? It looks like there's uh, portholes on the nacelles and the... Uh, uh, Those are maintenance hatches. Yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just... They, they put portholes all over this, and they're on the warp nacelles. Yeah, and the struts, like, going to the uh, nacelles. Maintenance hatches. So, it can't be one homogenous sheet of freaking... I don't know, whatever metal it is they use. Okay, yeah, all right, fine. Look, it it looks dramatic, but when you get closer, uh, much like uh, finding an Instagram freaking like trender in real life, as you look closer at it, you start to see the flaws. <laughs> um, so we're uh, we're just cutting to the chase. We're they should just call this adventure the like uh, destruction of the Prime Directive, or us not paying attention to the Prime Directive. Yeah. Uh, fuck the Prime Directive. Wasn't the last episode? Yeah, the last episode, that was my big complaint, too, that they didn't pay attention to the Prime Directive. Um, I know, in the first series, it was a bit... They, half the episodes, they remembered it, half they forgot. But anyway, to get to the... To cut to the chase, in this episode, there is a... Uh, they're exploring a uh, unexplored region of the galaxy. That's usually what you do in unexplored regions of the galaxy. And they have a mission of extreme importance because there's recent Nova activity, which has caused Vega radiation, uh, which is an extremely destructive form of mutant energies, and it's heading towards a inhabited sector. Right. It is. And, and, and yep, you've got Jim on the bridge looking dramatic, Spock being very pointed, and uh, they're, uh, you know, of course, stressing out about how much time they have to get to their destination. Because yeah, there's a inhabited planet that they're racing towards because they want to evacuate uh, the species before they're d- killed horribly by the radiation. Which, I gotta say, I mean, if you look at the Prime Directive, I think the Prime Directive is a great policy. You know, you shouldn't give warp technology to a, technolo- or to an, a, to a race that hasn't advanced to that point. I understand, or we're not going to tell you how to govern a people. I don't necessarily agree with this in Star Trek where, oh, a natural disaster that is beyond these people's control that they did nothing to cause, we're not going to help them uh, navigate. That it's, it, it almost implies that there's a cosmic plan to the universe and like, who are we to interfere if an asteroid is going to hit this planet? I don't necessarily agree with that interpretation of the Prime Directive. And I know Kirk doesn't as well. So maybe this is not necessarily a... Well, it is a Prime Directive violation, but it's one that he's making knowingly. But it never comes up in the plot that like we're violating the Prime Directive, which they technically are. It's not yeah. Kirk's interpretation that it is a prime directive violation. It's more like a prime suggestion. I mean, a and he talks about this later in the issue that a, a, a starship captain has a wide uh, latitude in which they can operate out. It is very much a clear... I mean, you are interfering in a culture, but I mean, I don't think it's... You, again, it's not that you're saving them from themselves or you're shielding them from the consequences of their actions or you're artificially uh, it, uh, evolving their, their society... This is something that, I mean, it is absolutely beyond their control. And so, again, it's, I agree with Kirk, where I don't think he ever talked, he never talked about this in the series, it's more in the book, so it's not canon, but it's, you know, that's, 
I, I agree that I don't think that's necessarily should be in the spirit of the Prime Directive that we're saving somebody from a natural disaster, especially like in the third series season where they're saving a uh, they were going to save a a uh, planet that an asteroid was going to hit. Um, if you can do that, even if the planet like they're underdeveloped. They would never know if you came in, shot a few photon torpedoes at an asteroid that was going to destroy their like their civilization. How is that against the Prime Directive? Right, right. So I, uh, so I don't necessarily think that's keeping within the spirit of the Prime Directive, but I, I'm taking this on a tangent. Yes, uh, in, in, in a rare, rare glimpse into the inner workings of our hero, Captain Kirk, as he and Spock are heading to their transporter room. Uh, we we have a rare moment of empathy from our esteemed captain, where uh, he's he's kind of discussing how how these people that they're going to go rescue. Thank you know, even though Spock says there aren't that many of them, it'll be easy to pull them out of the planet. There's only uh, two hundred of the inhabitants on the planet that they're racing to evacuate, and, right, they, and they are a pre-warp civilization as well. Right, and, and you know, Kirk saying, "Yeah, there won't be any life lotteries like uh, on another planet. They had uh, had to save or whatever." Uh, but he does says, "But these people will have lost their home. Think, imagine how they will feel." And yeah, that next panel, dude, I really don't care for this drawing of Spock. It it just looks a little derpy to me. I, I agree. I want to go back to the previous page because oh, I'm pedantic, yes, and there's a mistake that bothered me. So as Kirk and Spock leave the bridge because they're going to go down to the transporter room because they're going to transport down to prep the the civilization to be to be evacuated. uh, Kirk puts Sulu in charge and he says that he says, Sulu, take the helm until uh, Commander Scott relieves you. What they meant was Sulu, take the con. Sulu is already at the helm. He's the helmsman. Yeah. So Scotty is going to transport them down to the surface. So Scott. Sulu's in charge until he's done transporting them, which the chief in any other time frame or ship, it would be weird that you would have to have the chief engineer man the transporter but in every issue so far, uh, basically since they relaunched the the Enterprise they've had non-stop transporter malfunctions, I see why they would want Scotty manning the board (laughs) Yes Yes (laughs) and true to form when they arrive at the transporter room, they're warned by Mr. Scott, hey, I don't think you should do this. Something's a little kind of weird here. Yeah, he, he says that they're, the planet's surrounded by an unusual type of solar energy field, which may affect our beam. Everything checks out positive. Uh, That's what they said last time. But, but yeah, basically, this makes no fucking sense to me. Scotty, the dude who knows more about the transporter than anybody else on board, says... We shouldn't transport down right now. There's this energy field. You know, let's just hold off a minute. And Kirk's like, no, nah, that's okay. You can just disassemble me molecule by molecule. I'm sure it'll be fine. He overrode the, the transporter expert based off of nothing, the fact that I'm in a hurry. And, 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 and you know, McCoy. But McCoy never cared for the transporter anyway. So, you know, he's kind of boy who cried wolfing it right now. So... Scott still transports him down. Uh huh. And what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> well, I don't understand what Kirk's p- 
plan is, because if the transport, I know he's in a hurry because he wants to make sure they evacuate these 200 people before the time runs out, but if the transporter doesn't work, if they die in transport, it's not like they can still save these people by the transporter. It's, it works or it doesn't, why not run a test? Why not send down a sample container or something first to make sure you can? Why gamble your lives? It just makes no sense. Right. Well, um, Headstrong Kirk, you know, goes for it, and uh, lo and behold, uh, there's problems. And another, you know, whoever, okay, sorry, penciler, dude, like, we, we got to be better, man. I mean, just just like an issue ago, we were talking about how great of a job they had done, and I think they did switch their penciler because this Scott, uh, no, he don't he don't look like Scott. He looks like I don't know a slightly less sloping forehead Ron Jeremy, freaking just about to reach his peak. Oh, in the lower panel on page six, he actually looks a bit like younger Stan Lee. <laughs> But, and also check out the size of his hands in that panel like the yeah, space between the his fingers hands. are huge his hands are big enough to have six fingers yeah i've got the biggest hands they're the best okay but we're <laughs> skipping ahead <laughs> oh shit but yeah so yeah um issues ensue uh, they have problems, uh, particularly long-armed and ripped Mr. Scott starts freaking ripping panels off the transporter and hot-wiring it on the fly. And lo and behold, uh, he learns how to cast the fire spell. Well, yeah, so he, he even mentions he's like, because they, they, they're, they're losing their, their, their transporter signal, and he's like, I've lost two lives to this plastic contraption. I won't be losing another. And they're, so they're referencing what happened in Star Trek The Motion Picture, which, again, when they've already had, I mean, they've been in space a month, and they've had two fatalities on the transporter and several near misses. You'd think they'd be a bit more sensitive at this point when the head trans, like the guy who knows more about the system than anyone, hey, Let's just hold off a minute and take a look at this. No, I'll be fine. Yeah, and so far, like, the freaking thing with the highest kill count aboard the Enterprise is the fucking transport. That's absolutely accurate. <laughs> that is 100% accurate. Uh, but yet, so the, the, it looks like he's rewiring a smoke detector. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Oh, man. It's kind of like, you know, you hear that fucking beep in the middle of the night and you're fucking trying to figure out what it is and you you find it and you take it off the fucking ceiling and you're just like, where the fuck does the battery go? That's exactly. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, and then for, he's rewarded by his troubles for like the, the unit catching fire and him burning his hands. And so, for some reason, his burned hands turned purple. And huge. Yes. I mean, maybe they swole up. I don't know. <laughs> They're three times the size of his head. Like, seriously, he would be great at basketball at this point. This dude could freaking palm a basketball and hold it upside down. No problem. I mean, the muscles it must take in his arms just – or he must have his arms to be able to, like, lift those hands. I mean, it's just – he's – I cannot – I cannot overemphasize how large and misshapen his hands are and purple. Uh, yeah. Uh, the only thing that comes to mind, if you're a fan of the old uh, 80s fucking horror series, Tales from the Dark Side, he kind of has grither hands. Tales from the Dark Side. I've not thought about that in a in a while. A oh yeah, Grither Hands. Look oh. it up. It's great. <laughs> I will look that up. <laughs> Make a note. <laughs> so, but our our team made it. It's our three core members, and then they have two ensigns that because that's just uh, how uh, how they roll. Expendables. And, 
the, even though this te- this planet wasn't supposed to have any advanced technology, an alien shows up uh, in a hovercraft and greets them. Right. I, I like how Kirk is talking into his eye watch. Well, yeah, this is one of the this this predicted the smartwatch. Yeah. Um. So, uh, the uh, they they the ROA team, or I'm sorry, landing party, points out that they were uh, seems like this alien was expecting them. He says uh, he basically verifies that that this was foretold that they would be arriving. Okay, one question for you. I, I have a question for you. Uh, uh, given the font used in the alien speech, did you voice him in your own head as like speaking with an old English accent? Uh, I did not. <laughs> it just looks kind of like ye old Englishy with the font they used. With his flaccid penis mouth, I kind of assumed like he talked like droopy dog. <laughs> I, I can't i can't do a droopy impression oh, greetings of fail saviors from the sky well, long have we awaited this, this glorious moment that that's exactly how i i pictured it that was very good <laughs> thank you <laughs> Oh shit. So again we learn that uh their their uh coming was foretold and they have proof of this because there is a ginormous ginormous monument of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Not the two ensigns, who could give a fuck about them? Oh but, they're expendable, fuck them. And that uh we learn through analysis by Spock that these uh statues were erected over twenty four thousand years ago. Great Scott man! Um, okay, so is it just me, or in in in, in viewing our, our alien species friends here, uh, I, I've been paying, I, I paid close attention to their arms, and I'm just trying to figure out their bone structure, man, because it is trippy as fuck, because there seems to be nothing solid in their arms, they just waggle around kind of like fingered tentacles. Yeah, it looks like Stretch Armstrong's arm, and I imagine it moves kind of similarly. Yeah, I don't think there's a solid bone in there. Matt, okay. I agree with with you. I also love this giant uh, panel on page 11 where it looks like Spock's pointing his uh, garage door opener at the the, (laughs) the statues (laughs) expecting something to happen. Oh, yeah, I've done that so many times. Yeah. Oh, fuck the battery's dead, man. The door won't open. Shit. Um, so, uh, I don't think they would have anything more of value on that page. Uh, other than the bottom right panel of page 11 for half a second, I thought he was freaking giving me a Sean Connery middle finger, but it, it wasn't. <laughs> on a normal hand, it would have been, but if you only have four digits, you don't have a middle finger. So, basically, long story short... These aliens are convinced that Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are the sky saviors, and they're base- and they're going to save their society from the coming radiation. Our team is doing their best to explain that they need to evacuate with them, or their civilization will be destroyed. Uh, while this is going on, Spock, or Kirk radios back the uh, to the Enterprise telling them to prepare to beam them back on board. And we get the best panel on page 15 of Kirk when he learns that they can't beam back aboard. What? <laughs> and if you've ever read the Spider, like the daily Spider-Man comic strip, where it was only like a few panels at a time, Peter Parker several times, they'd have a close-up of him looking shocked. 
and that's exactly what he looks like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we fast forward over to the, the bridge over there and, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> Scotty is, uh, decided that he's going to star in the, uh, live action mummy play on board. We've never seen that in Star Trek, somebody being totally covered in bandages. I mean, that's even in the original series, you know, Dr. But, Chapel's on board. She would have been able to treat his hands. You know, maybe maybe she got struck down by the coronavirus. <laughs> COVID nineteen in, inhabited the future as well. Sorry. <laughs> I just it's just it's so weird that that's you wouldn't just have his slightly damaged hands or something there. I mean, I guess they're trying to show like he's still injured, but I mean that is just it just looks stupid. It does. It, it does. Hence hence the stupid jokes. So, but uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, we can't do it. Uh, they're gonna send the shuttle, hopefully, but. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's going to take too long. Yeah, it would take too long to get there. So they've got to figure something out. So basically, long story short here, uh, there's a choice here where Spock says, um, it's possible that uh, the, the Enterprise could use its phasers to, uh, uh, to, to shoot the cloud and possibly disperse it. However, it is a very small chance that that would be successful, and the uh, chances of death for the Enterprise would be quite high. So basically, Kirk uh, uh, calls it almost, or compares it to a suicide mission. And again, this is 420 lives on the Enterprise versus the 200 lives on the planet. So I mean, this is when you start to look at the numbers here. I mean, this is these are difficult decisions for Kirk to make. Yeah. But uh, Kirk being Kirk, he decides to risk it. I love that he says, "Man, I should be. Well, uh, I should be up there. I should be the one doing this." Yeah, you should not have beamed down with three of the highest-ranking officers on your ship. But but I need my buddies. He's got to have his buds. So but yeah. So apparently uh, they go sightseeing with the uh, you know SpongeBob alien pants. So yes, while they're on the planet, Spock says that he's picking up a uh, uh, a large amount of solar energy. So they're going to go, they take the hovercraft and they're going to go investigate. Right. And uh, they have uh, the Dodo from Tiny Toons as their guide with his uh, sad, roomy, yellowish, reddish, orangish eyes. Yeah, he looks goofy in a couple of these panels. It, it looks, he looks like he was a fucking rock'em sock'em robot that got punched too hard. Um, actually, I could see, yeah, because the, the, the giraffe, like, uh, yeah, the neck like extended like by at least double its original length. Yeah, this is just the anatomically that just does not look right. Like his, because what is that? I mean, is that bone? What is that? His neck made out of it? Just it doesn't look like a biological material. Maybe they're like a tree, and like depending on how many rings you have on your neck, it <laughs> determines how old you are. Yeah, <laughs> well, they they come across a vast solar collector. Which is uh, hundred over a hundred thousand kilometers in diameter. Yep, and cut to the Enterprise. Uh, yeah, uh, summarize it. Space hijinks ensue. They shoot phasers at the freaking cloud, and it really doesn't appear to be working. He says, "Set the ship's phasers for proximity explosions, Sulu." What the fuck does that mean? I died. I don't know. It's an energy. It's a beam of phased energy. How do you set that for a proximity explosion? I th- you could set the, a photon torpedo 
to be like a mine for a proximity explosion, but not like the phasers. Well, dude, he's the chief freaking engineer. What does he know about the weapon systems? (laughs) (laughs) So they set the phased energy weapon for a proximity explosion. It doesn't work. Surprise. Yep, there's a a shockwave that hits the ship. They take damage, but no, uh, no casualties. However, the warp drive's offline, so now the, the ship is stuck as the, the Vega radiation is over, overwashing it. So they're hoping that the shields will be enough to, uh, to uh, save them, to shield them from the radiation. And a rather poorly drawn Sulu seems to wonder if they can withstand it or not. Um, we, trans- uh, we, we go back to our heroes on, Andr- on Andrea 4. Oh, while our heroes are investigating that solar collector, they put the two ensigns in charge of uh, of, get, of prepping the uh, 200 people to uh, evacuate the planet. So while the three high-ranking and most experienced officers are investigating a minor mystery, you put the two most inexperienced officers in charge of the actual mission. Of trying to of getting those people ready to beam off the planet, I just thought that yeah. was a bit ridiculous. But there, our crew go back to Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. They go back to the village to the statue. While this is going on, one of the uh, the uh, the statue opens up. The the the, the what would you call it? The uh, base pedestal. Yeah, pedestal opens up. There's a secret compartment. And uh, they're going to go down. And one of the aliens that they, or the alien they go down with, he starts to glow. And yeah, he's got he's got a little sheen to him. I don't I don't think he's hit full glow just yet. When they go uh, beneath the statue, there's this vast labyrinth of very uh, complex equipment and machinery underneath it. And they theorize that the planet surface had shielded it from their scans. Kirk tr- or Spock tries to mind meld with the alien and he says that it's uh, hoping that he'll get answers about what's going on, but he had to break connection. He was flooded with information. He says he was overwhelmed by a vast array of concepts and experiences. My mind is far too primitive to commune with such intelligence. So basically this these aliens, they seem like they were dying out even before the radiation um, got there. That's why there were only 200 on the planet. Yep. And so this alien, it seems like he's evolving right in front of their eyes, and that's what this is. The sheen, um, it's him evolving into, uh, uh, into a vastly superior consciousness. Uh, the next page, we get a hostess co- uh, uh, advertisement, which I just found baffling, where <laughs> the human torch is flying around, and there's just a guy in a biplane who has the ability to freeze all these farmers' crops. So to stop him, the uh, human torch gives the freezing pilot. It, it, it does not make clear how he's freezing um, these crops or why he desires to freeze these farmers' crops. But he enjoys these fruit pies that the Human Torch gives him so much that when the Human Torch says, well, if you freeze these guys' orchard, there won't be any more ho- uh, fruit for Hostess fruit pies. He immediately regrets doing that, and uh, uh, the day is saved. Yep. Ba-ba-da-dum. Uh, yeah, what? So, yeah, it makes no sense. Talking about makes no sense, the next page, Spock says from his mind meld, he learns that the... 
uh, Andrians are a species in a state of evolutionary flux that mm-hmm. in their most advanced stage, as the glowing masses which surrounded us are, they are temporally transcendental. They experience all periods of time simultaneously. That means that 24,000 years ago, the aliens on the planet, they they saw they experienced the past, the future, the present all simultaneously. They yep. saw are the enterprise arriving. That's why they built the statue. But you're you might be asking yourself, well that doesn't make any sense. Why they build the statue? And that's because the machines that they built here because they knew the radiation was coming at this time. So they built the solar collectors to draw in enough energy to be able to discharge it at the radiation to disperse it. But again, why did they need the statue? Oh, because they needed Spock to pull the lever to make the machine actually discharge the energy. At this exact moment. This exact, okay, sorry, not moment, minute. So we want to be precise within 60 seconds or so, plus or minus. So there were advanced enough to create a machine that could detect the radiation, that could channel and, or channel and hold enough energy, and then fire it to destroy the cloud, but not advanced enough to have some sort of proximity sensor to have it do, to do that automatically. We needed our crew there for all, the sole purpose of pulling one lever. That is ridiculous. So- my question is, did this, pre- this precognitive vision that Spock have come with like a time stamp or something to tell him exactly what second he was supposed to pull the lever? Because I don't know how he knew that he knew that he had to pull that lever at that precise moment. There was a uh, sound that only his Vulcan hearing could hear. That's why it's not, there's no onomatopoeia. But it was just a voice coming from the letter, le- lever saying like, Spock, pull me now. Spock, pull me now. I mean, it's... It makes no sense. No, it's just... That, you you know what? That is the, probably the best explanation for it. I can, I, I can think of right now. That's fantastic. Because we see it. hundreds of buttons on this machine, but there's one lever, so Spock just goes over and just pulls it. But, I mean, it makes no sense. They're, they don't do anything. One of the aliens could have pulled this lever. Why not have a statue up on... or a a device on top of the planet saying on the planet surface saying come down here at this exact time and then when like the aliens come down yeah. pull this lever now or like i said the yeah. machine is this advanced they couldn't have had a timer so the like, you wouldn't even need a lever it would just do it automatically they could have they could have like freaking like uh, avengers end gamed it and freaking had like you know a random andrian rodent like thing run across the freaking control panel and bump the lever and activate it that would have worked too i mean they could have seen it like oh yeah this rat's gonna run across here let's put the lever right there i mean this makes no sense especially how they don't have any advanced technology on the surface except for one hovercraft this doesn't really i mean so i guess they don't need technology or wish to have it but then why just have the one hovercraft i guess because kirk and spock needed to get and mccoy needed to get to the solar panel yeah so that was solely there for i mean again it's this Ruth Goldbergian device that just did not need to be set up because our because we get up because we're basically this is the end of the story the the ship's able to lay, uh, limp back to the planet um, our crew or Kirk Spock and McCoy are kind of dumbfounded by this and at the end we get a uh, 
them asking the question. One thing that puzzles me, Spock, did our scientific background save the planet, or did the Andrian's vision of the future guide all of our actions? There's no fucking question! You didn't do anything! No! How? What scientific fucking background? You didn't even find the secret fucking door, guys! One of the aliens had a fucking spoon feed you every single step of this mis- fucking begotten study in galactic fucking impotence of the federation and we we get kind of spock wondering here too he said think of all the listless andorians on the planet's surface they live only to step beyond and not all of them make it their lives are wasted and we see in the end the alien who was glowing who was going through the change he stops glowing so i mean i does that symbol because i i guess that's He's done with the transition, and now he's hyper-evolved? Or, or, or he got kicked back. But either which way, while he was glowing, I could only think of one thing. What's that? Scotty's hands? No, nope, nope. I can only think of this. And he didn't get the glow, unfortunately, because it faded out. I just, I, I just don't, because it implies them only being 200 on the surface that the rest of them have evolved past their humanoid form, but not all of them make it. Maybe they molted, you know, like when they tried freaking uh, transcending beyond or whatever. Uh, maybe with a failed attempt resulted in the death of their con- consciousness, which was the only thing holding their fucking entirely prehensile bodies together and they just kind of disintegrated i don't know they don't really make it clear how this works because if they evolve past their their humanoid form how did they build if they're not corporeal anymore how did they build all the machinery and but that because i think that's what they're trying to say there's only 200 left on the surface because they're all just waiting to evolve so they're not creating and building they're stagnant this is not they they just needed a couple more panels to kind of explain this because it's very well, half-assed. Yeah, I, I mean, but that being that, a lot can happen to a freaking species uh, over the course of twenty six thousand years. I'm. It just doesn't. It, it, it's almost. It's so wrapped up so quickly here in just like a few panels. It honestly, I mean, it felt like the last page, the last couple pages were written by somebody totally different than the person who set up the mystery. Because, I mean, the, 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 the Federation's involvement was completely unnecessary. It was to pull one lever. So we're going to have 24,000-year-old statues just to signal that. And, again, yeah. it's just how the, do they still have a humanoid form? Can they have a humanoid form afterward? I mean, none of this is explained. It's not answered. And, and, and it, the whole ending of this issue leaves me kind of feeling like Scotty's hands, wet, moist, and kind of disappointed. Yeah, I, this one left me. <laughs> this one left me cold. <laughs> you caught me off guard there. Um, I mean, it, I so wanted to like this because I like the alien design and I like the idea of them um, finding their statues on the planet and exploring that mystery. And we yeah. don't really. I mean, the mystery is just such a lousy payoff. It's just yeah, I, they, ha- they they did so good with the mystery last issue. Yes, agreed. And this one, it felt like they had a cool concept, and they didn't know how to actually like to, to explain. It. it was like Lost, 
we're going to set up all these big mysteries and then we're just going to have like a limp whimper to explain it. Yeah. Yeah, basically. It was, it was, it was, uh, man, it, you know, the story felt about as flaccid as the Andrian's mouth. So, okay. I totally agree. <laughs> it was, uh, it, it could have been so much better. Um, you know, this could, I think, I really do feel like this is something that could have been fleshed out into a two-parter and probably would have went really well, but trying to condense it down into a single issue uh, maybe left some things wanting. Oh, I, I absolutely agree that if this could have been a really cool two-parter if they had taken their time to really explore the mystery. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much that could have been done with, you know, trying to figure out the alien species and fucking, like, the whole side trip with the Enterprise and, and, and even poking around down below the damn freaking statue pedestal. Yeah. Yeah, how cool would it have been to have like several pages of like them on the Enterprise? Because the whole tension on the Enterprise was we're damaged, uh, we can't warp out of the way of this uh, um, radiation cloud. Is the shield going to be enough to protect us? Like you said, if you did two parts, you could have had a couple pages like, oh, we need to divert more power to the shields, and Sp- Scotty doesn't, ha- he can't use his hands to start rewiring stuff. He has to. Ex- uh, walk somebody else through it, and are we going to get yeah. it done in time? And, and we have to evacuate the outer parts of the ship. There could have been such like yeah, a real uh, cool drama like, there. Everybody, get down into the core of the hole. Let's go. Exactly. Like there's a an episode of Enterprise, which is pretty fun, where they get caught in this massive radiation uh, cloud, kind of like this. And the ship's shielding isn't adequate to protect them, and they can't get out of the way in time. So they have to. They have to just ride it out, and the most heavily part of the ship is the nacelles, and they basically have to just stay in the nacelles for like three weeks right, uh, and yeah. camp out there. Exactly. Like, Uhura could have led everybody in a rousing freaking kumbaya up there or something, you know? I mean, it, it, it could have been like camping. Yeah, like, it's, it's going to take us... Uh, a week to get back to the planet, or I guess they not that long because of the radiation. No, uh, well, yeah, because the radiation is only going to be eleven hours, like away. So, oh, it's going to take us, you know, twelve hours to get back, and it's just it's going to be super hard because we have to get through that radiation. And yeah, that would have yeah. been such a cool story. Yeah, they could like they, you know the wave could pass over them. They could do their kumbaya moment camping in the nacelles or whatever. And then there could be an, a whole little sidetrack with with them limping behind this freaking wave on impulse, exactly. trying to freaking fix the engines and everything, so they can try and blast pi- past it and and you know do a freaking quick drive by and rescue everybody. Real but waste no. opportunity. Yeah, no, not not taken advantage of. It, it, you know, and, and while all that's going on, we could have fleshed out the Andrians a little bit more uh, it, instead of leaving us with this freaking. Half baked, disappointing, freaking mug cupcake of a story. Uh, we, we got, you know, we could have had something a little more fulfilling. This really feels like, now that you mention it, that this, 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 maybe when they originally pitched it, it was going to be a two parter. And then when they, uh, they got word at kind of like the last minute, no, this is only going to be like a one issue. And so it was like the writer trying to condense that two like that like the the two issue story into one because i mean just some of the things that they put up there like they talk about like the arrested development of the andrians and like you said the damaged enterprise and 
oh, are the shields going to be enough? I don't know. It really felt like these were things that they, they wanted to come back and explore more. And it was like, oh, no, just cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. <laughs> That's just really oh, what it felt like. Hold up. We're reassigning the lead creative guys to something else that we're going to be launching this week. Uh, B team, come on, finish it up. We'll give you all the credits. Yeah, because it just, I, I think it would have played much better. I second that uh, emotion. Because, yeah, you would have had at the end of the issue uh, Kirk and Spock, you know, trapped on the planet uh, uh, with the, like, maybe aliens starting to glow with the Enterprise also like, oh, we're stuck. How are we going to survive the radiation? How are we going to make it back to the planet to save everyone? I don't know. That would have been such a cool point to, uh, to leave it. Yeah, or hell, even throw a twist in where, like, freaking... One by one, these aliens just start freaking transcending, you know, and, and eventually freaking, you know, the Enterprise uh, team that's on the surface is like, holy shit, these guys are all disappearing into nowhere and just moving on. And we're just left with the, re- you know, the reject one that can't transcend. And he's trying to explain how we're supposed to save this now abandoned fucking planet while the Enterprise is freaking like frantically trying to catch them in a fruitless freaking endeavor because they can't make it. Oh, <clears throat> I'm hoping next week's issue is a little bit better. I'm taking a look at the cover now, and I'm I'm laughing because it has a theme that carried over from this week's issue compared to next week's are flaming hands. So Ooh, you'll flaming have to, hands. You'll have to tune in next week to uh, find out the mystery of uh, Spock's flaming hands. Oh, Spock's. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, man. So, if you guys want to contact us, comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. Yep, or comicbookdungeonpodcast on the Instagrams. You can find me at BrokenLMD, like life, like life Model Decoy from the Marvel Comics, BrokenLMD on Twitter. Uh, and you can find me freaking in an escape room somewhere. Nice. <laughs> Hopefully you'll have escaped by then. I hope so. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I've got a crack team working with me. Nice. Uh, you have anything uh, you want to add? Uh, just, you know what? Keep turning them pages. We will uh, hopefully regale you with... Uh, God, I wish I could say there'd be less political commentary, but hell, who knows what the shit show of a freaking uh, uh, time that we live in will bring. <laughs> <laughs> Unpredictable. Yeah. This is absolutely but hey next time it will uh well who knows next time you're hearing us it'll definitely be after daylight saving so haha <laughs> this is this is mark reminding you that next time if the chief engineer tells you it's not safe to transport you should just fucking listen to him <laughs> night everybody good night fucking ridiculous <laughs> oh man let's 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 not listen to the fucking leading expert we've got here <laughs> especially after it was like a month ago that you you lost two crewmen to that, and like a week ago you had an issue with the transporter. I mean, it just it makes no sense. I fucking got it. You know what? Fucking you know, Kirk is a fucking anti-vaxer. <laughs> you should have been nerve pinched on the spot. Time for is <laughs> Madness uh. takes its toll, but listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control.
just a jump to the left. Kodos. 